beginning our account of John, our sermon series on John. We'll go last, I think, for the, the most of this year. And we're going to begin at the beginning with verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please be seated. Join me now in prayer. O oh Lord, this is your word. We say that both in terms of your son, but also in terms of the word that he has revealed to us. Pray that we might heed it as such, that it might be a light that shines to the darkness of our hearts, removing all shadow, all murkiness, all sin, Lord, and instead replacing what was dead with life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're beginning our series in John today, and you'll notice that the title of this sermon is The Prologus of the Lagos. You see what I did there, right? The prologus of the Lagos. Of course, the word Lagos in Greek generally can mean lots of different things. It has a wide semantic range. It can mean anything from a simple word to a message or a declaration, or depending on the context and the understanding, it can mean much more. It can have actually metaphysical context to it in which it describes a pattern or a shape or even the law, something that might even be preexistent to creation itself. And we'll delve a little bit more into that as we talk about this passage. But it's an important aspect of the beginning of the Gospel of John. In fact, this is the prologue. It is the word before that which comes after it. It sets the stage. The verse, Verses 1 through 18 of the Gospel of John, in fact, will introduce themes and words and language that will become important throughout the remainder of his work that will explain and clarify the very purpose and mission of he who came into the world. So it's important that we take time, that we take the next few weeks to examine these verses, verses 1 through 18, to develop a sure founding, a foundation by which we can begin to interpret and understand better that actual incarnate Christ and what he comes and does and says in the remainder of our gospel. But of course, John actually begins in the beginning. It's not a foreign way for us if we're actually reading sequentially from Matthew and then up to John. This is the fourth gospel known as that, the gospel of John. We've already seen that in Mark chapter 1, he says in the beginning too, doesn't he? And he begins, What does anybody remember what Mark begins with in his gospel? What does he begin with? Do you remember? Well, he begins with the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. But in this case, right, John wants us to examine a different beginning. If I were just, this is a question for the kids. If I were just to say to you, in the beginning, what would you think about, Adele? You would think about creation. Do you think John had that in mind when he wrote this? Well, I, I think he did, Adele. I think he absolutely did. That's right. So when we think in the beginning... We should be thinking about that very aspect of creation. We should be thinking about that function that the author of Genesis, under the inspiration of God, ascribes to him, that aspect of creation. But in this case here, 
what John is telling us is he's revealing to us how, in fact, that creation came to be. Because as Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John tells us that in the beginning, the origin of all things that is, have their creation through the mediation of the word. What is this word? What, when we say word, what do we think of? I mean, like I've already said, the word logos has such a large semantic range. In and of itself, it can mean so many different things. And as a matter of fact, both Jewish and Greek alike speculated on what this word actually meant. Couched in its Old Testament context, up through the Second Temple period. What could this word mean? How could it be a proper description of God? Are we speaking, in fact, about some way to grapple with this pre-existence of wisdom? Is that what we have, perhaps a personification of it, as we see in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, wherein we see that wisdom was that important function, that important means by which God created all things? Is that a different different way to say this word here, that it is wisdom, the created means by which God created all things? We, We can't say it's truly that, because wisdom is created. And here we'll see that that's not what's in mind. In the same way, is it some type of pattern? that God created out of his mind to form or fashion all things into being, once again, we run into the same problem. Time and time again, when we look at various philosophies and understandings as they radiate outside of the Christian faith, we see that there's always this medium that the one monotheistic God has created in order to create all things. But John is saying that that is not the case. Because in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word existed. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything about God, the Word was. All the godliness of God, all His godness, all His attributes, everything that we can rightly say about God, we can say about this Word but we can say something more as well. That he is not one and the same in his person because the word was with God. We could even translate to God because while this word has all of the godliness that God has, in the same respect, he is not the same person as the Father. He is with him. There is some type of fellowship, this communion that is set forward. And it is a communion that comes from eternity past because this word is in the beginning. Now, many, if not all of you will know that I teach seventh and eighth grade Bible here. And when we and one thing I have them do is I have a memorize the shorter catechism. And one of the questions that always comes up is this question about the eternality of God. And I think this is the most common question that I've got, both when I taught 8th grade last year, but this year when I teach 7th and 8th grade, when I mention that God is eternal, and we begin to try to break that down, what does it mean that God is eternal? What does it mean that this word here, as we turn to John chapter 1, and we look at it, what does it mean that he's eternal? I see their faith, their eyes get big as we talk about that he's had no beginning or no end. Their eyes get big, and some of them will even put their hands on their head like this. Right? I mean, Mike Talis does this to me as well. And he goes, he goes they go, how can that be? How can, how can that be? How can God be eternal? What does that even mean? 
I mean, Tamar, am I right? Right? That we have this conversation? Like, what, what does that even mean? That God is eternal, that he has no beginning or end. And always they say, what was God doing before he created everything? What was he doing? Right? I mean, and it's an understandable question because think about our day. Think about our day. Our day has beginnings and ends. It's built in to the very fabric of our being. Right? You, wait, you go to sleep and you wake up. You eat and you finish eating. We have schedules. Everything about our day is dictated by beginnings and ends and the doings that surround and either activate or terminate those beginnings and those ends. But with God, there is no beginning and there is no end. And they always say, but what could God be doing? And I'm tempted to answer in the same way that Augustine answered the question. Now, of course, when the kids ask me this question, they're well-meaning. When they were asked to Augustine, they were meant to be attacked. What could God be doing before he created? And what Augustine said, he said, I won't respond the way that others have, that before creation, God was preparing a hell for people who are overly curious about these things, right? I won't respond that way, even though he just did respond that way. You know, like, I won't respond that way. But you can see the point here. You can see the point is that why would he have to be doing anything? It's as if we need to somehow comprehend or understand in order to give legitimacy to the idea. But this is John's point. In the beginning, in the origin of all things, the word already was. And as Sinclair Ferguson has said, and he was having the time of his life. Now, like I said, Sinclair Ferguson has used a good example. I mean, what... Sometimes people, and, and I feel this way with my wife, sometimes people will say, well, what do you like to do? And I'll respond the same way that Sinclair has said, I, I like to be with my wife. Well, what do you like to do with your wife? Well, I don't necessarily like to do anything. I just like to be with my wife. I do. I think most of when our spouses or our loved ones, that's a benefit. It's not that you have to be doing anything. Just being with them, being in their company, sharing that comfort, that companionship, that love, that fellowship, that in itself is a blessing. That's what this word was not doing. That's just what, what he was. That is, John emphasizes who he's with. He's completely joyful and satisfied in this relationship that the word has with the Father. And what we know and will come to know better through the Gospel of John with the Spirit. See, in the beginning, we have this fellowship of eternality. This joy, this contentment that has no beginning, that has no end. That is so satisfying that we can't even express it in words. The best that John could say is that the word was with God. That's the best that he can do. But in those small, subtle words is so much fullness and so much meaning that we can't express it in any other way because he was in the beginning with God. But it doesn't end that way, does it? It could have. There would have been no lack or want in the lives of those persons of the Godhead Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If creation had never, it had never happened, there would have been no less between them. Neither would have, there have been essentially, at least in any way, better. Nonetheless, there was something added to it because all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. 
You see, it's through the medium of this word that the Father decided to create all things. It's an amazing thing. You can imagine that they're having a conversation in some way. It's not the conversation that we might have through words or body language. Nonetheless, there's a communion that's happening there. And the Father looks at the word. He looks at his Son. And he says, I love you. I'm with you. I'm toward you. I love you. I have this plan. I have this plan for creation. Will you be its architect? Will you be the one that designs it? Will you put all of your beauty and your goodness and your purity and your joy, all that you are, will you take and will you design something? Will you fashion it out of your being? Will you make it lovely like you're lovely? Will you make it pure like you are pure? It can't be the same as you, but it can be similar. Will you do that? And what we'll know later in John is that there was a qualification to that. Because the word, as we'll see later, was actually going to become a part of that creation. But the son did, the word did. All things that were made were made through him and not anything that was made was made without him. And it's good that it was because we've seen that this eternal word who put all of his attributes in his glory and he put them as he was able into this creation. You see, it was through him that there was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, we also have another allusion here to creation. Do you recall what happens when God is getting in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and was void and the spirit of God was doing what? Was hovering over the deep. Hovering over this darkness, this deep. And we see here that there's an allusion to that creative activity in order to overcome, right? In order to, to fill, both to shape and to fill that darkness. That which was not, that which is the absence of light. We hear that the light shines through it and it breaks into it. And you notice what this light is. This is an eternal light. It's fitting that this word would be described as life and light. These things are fitting analogies to what we see in our world. Right? We live only in the light. If we didn't have the light, we would have no life. If creation did not have that light, it could not be sustainable. It would not continue. It would fade away into nothingness. If we are to have any life or any richness of life, it must be within the light because the light is what sustains, protects, and maintains that life. But I think there's something more going on here. And because we have limited time today, because we'll do communion This is something that I will end on. We've begun with the eternality of this word. But I think the key here is when we get to verses 4 and 5. In him was life and was the light of men. We notice that as we read through the Gospel of John, as we're going to do so in weeks and weeks ahead. There's this question of will this eternity, will it somehow transcend, will it somehow pass into God's creation? I think that's key here because we see that God is content in communion with himself eternally. But he designs to create. What will this creation look like? 
we see that it's going to be full of light and life. But what will be the nature of this light and this life? How will it overcome this darkness? How will it fashion or form or shape anything? And what will the shape and form look like? Will it be temporary? Will it fade after a time? Will it just be some type of, you know, insubstantial image or stuff? But I think the reason that John leads with this eternity is so important is because the whole function of this creation of light and life is meant to somehow impart this eternality. Not that everything doesn't have its beginning, but to somehow create an environment in which it will not have an end. That was the original plan. When the light breaks into the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it because it cannot turn the light off. It can't make it end. And what we'll see is that sin has tried to do that. Sin will be this darkness. Whereas before, sin was just the absence of light. I mean, darkness was just the absence of light, really. It was just a description that that the author of Genesis had used in Genesis chapter 1 to say that there's nothing there. It's just darkness. If you don't have light, you have darkness. So when God created everything, he created something and stuff. And then he ordered it and he arranged it and he filled it. But when we get to our situation so far removed from Genesis chapter 1, what we realize is that that darkness has taken a different shape. It is not just lack of things. It is not just absence of light. It is an attack against the light. And it is an attack that is meant to bring all that the light would give in terms of life and to bring it to death. And so when John says that the light shines into the darkness, what he's saying is, what is the light going to do to correct this new darkness, this new sin that time and again has tried to overcome the light? How is he going to do that? What are going to be the methods and the means by which the light overcomes the darkness? and somehow bestows eternal life again to his creation. I will recommend that in the upcoming weeks and months that you read John's gospel over and over again. That's one of the ways that I prepare when I write these series, is that I just read that book that I'm doing over and over and over again. It's meant to be read that way. We're not meant to take passage. We have to by virtue of the confines and our limitations. You know, I can't preach now for the next five days straight on this book. It wouldn't make sense. Neither can I try to take all of the material in this book and condense it into 15 or 20 minutes. So it's necessary, and sometimes it's even easier, to take bits and pieces of it. But if you will understand the fullness of what this has, you have to have the whole in mind as you look at the part. And one thing that we're going to see over and over again is that Christ desires to bestow this eternal life through belief. He is going to tell us time and time again, I was in the beginning when I created all things. I am here now to recreate all things. There was nothing. There was darkness and then there was light and there life and life. But then there was sin. There was marring, there was scarring, there was discord, there was chaos. And it took what I had made, both in the environment and in your hearts, and it waged war on it. And it brought it down. 
It shadowed it. It darkened it. It threatened to extinguish it. But I have come into the world now. I have become a part of this creation. Eternity has become flesh. And now you have the opportunity to have eternity in your hearts. If you will believe, you will see it, I promise you. If you read John over and over again, you will recall these first five verses as they introduce eternity and that recreation and turning toward eternity again if you would believe in Jesus. And that is why we are studying the Gospel of John. Some have said before me that John is so accessible, its waters are so approachable that a child can swim in it. But they're so deep as well and so filled with just meaning and depth that an elephant can bathe in it. They're not wrong. Brothers and sisters, we can all understand those words of Jesus, believe in me. But remember, it's eternity speaking to us. So that depth will go down and down and down as we swim. But don't forget these words in verses 1 through 5. If you would have eternity in your hearts, if you would know this word, if you would receive his light, if you would have the life that was given at creation, was torn away, and then was promised again by a recreation, by the eternal one, the word, then as we embark on this gospel of John, you must believe. You must believe in who this word is. As a matter of fact, as we'll see this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we'll see it is with this word that we will partake and have communion and fellowship with him as we look forward to the fulfillment of that promise that he gives. Well, let's pray.